All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome to the Bizzlecast TV commentary for Breaking Bad Season 1. This is arguably the greatest uh, pilot ever, um, and probably not arguably the greatest opening scene ever, in terms of the tease and the cold open, as they call it, but there is nothing cold going on here. <laughs> you got Walter White... Well, I'm not going to describe the scene because you guys have seen it. Um, I'm definitely going to do the whole first season of seven episodes. It was originally supposed to be nine. I'm sure you guys have binge-watched this numerous times, as I have. At least seen it once. I'm sure you rewatched this scene. You have no idea what's going on. Like The Wire, I came to this pretty late in the series, and so I knew enough about it to know like kind of what was going on in this first scene. There's the crash. Um, in honor of this first scene, I am also shirtless, but that is because it is hot. Uh, it is as hot in Philadelphia as it is in New Mexico at the moment. Um, I am not in my underwear or am I, I certainly don't have a gas mask. That would just be weird. Breaking Bad is one of the highest rated uh, series of all time um, in terms of reviews from both critics, mainstream, non-mainstream, blogosphere, average users, average people. Um, I've never actually heard anyone straight up say they didn't like or hated Breaking Bad, um, which uh, doesn't mean there aren't plenty of flaws. And what's interesting is Rotten Tomatoes gives the first season a 79% and then proceeds to give uh, the... Seasons two through five, a hundred percent. That's called jumping on the bandwagon. Game of Thrones was the same way. You know, a lot of times critics don't jump on until the fans jump on. And uh, this was a series that really only survived because of rabid fan support, and then ultimately Netflix, which is where I'm watching it now, many years later. So I, I stayed away from uh, Breaking Bad initially, really for the same reasons I stayed away from The Wire initially. Uh, and there's two. The first was just, I knew it was going to be really dark and depressing at times. Um, and, you know, I, I like my dark movies set in the future or the past, so it doesn't hit home so much. When it's modern realism like this, it's, it's always, you know, scarier and more affecting. You know, this looks like he, he's a psychopath talking into the camera like he killed a whole bunch of people. And um, you almost could screen this at the end of the series, you know, if Skylar had never you know, found out and so forth. And then they got the video and be like, oh, my God, it's all set up here. I always say in movies that the first scene or extended scene has to set up the rest of the movie. Um, in the best of them, uh, not just in terms of plot and characters, but tone and you know quality establishment. Now, in TV shows, you have numerous episodes. So no normally you say, well, have an episode or two to set it up. But this really follows the movie formula, you know, in the sense of this scene sets up the entire series, not just the season and not just the episode. The sirens are the first of a million misdirects in the series. Um, this series lives on red herrings, but what it does so well is it knows when to pull back from the red herring. Um, the only truly manipulative uh, sort of extended red herring, or um, I think m most people would agree, oh, that doesn't bother me so much, is, oh, here's the opening credits that take three seconds. I love it with the Firefly-esque uh, you know, modern Western music. 
um, is the swimming pool in the second season, which turns out to be far less significant than is played up to be, and they learn from that, and you don't see that again afterward. Vince Gilligan of X-Files fame. This guy's brilliant. This show has won dozens and dozens of awards. Um, sorry, just trying to take this in. I did rewatch this relatively recently. I think I've seen it all the way through twice. I think I rewatched this a few months ago in pieces. But there's so much detail, and every look is so precious and so meaningful. Every moment, you know, when you have a seven episode, you know, pilots season, you know, with a show that's supposed to have commercials, so you really only have like forty or forty five minutes to tell the tale. It actually forces you to to get more creative, more minimalist, pack more in, um, say more with less. This is similar to Iron Man, actually. I never really thought about it. I was listening to an interview with Jon Favreau, the director of Iron Man 1, uh, recently, and they talked about how there was a divide. Uh, um, I'm assuming you guys have seen Iron Man 1. Where, you know, in the beginning, we see Tony Stark you know, palling around in Afghanistan with the U.S. troops. Oh, it's the 50th birthday. And everyone's having a good time until they're hit by a bunch of giant missiles. He's the only one to survive, and he barely survives. And then it jumps back 48 hours, and you see Playboy Tony Stark and what a dick he is and how cocky and so forth. Uh, and so the whole time, you're, 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 you know, you're being held in suspense. What went on in those first two minutes? And that's exactly what's happening here. Here is uh, Anna Gunn, um, who we're definitely going to get back to, because she's controversial for all the wrong reasons. I think she's fantastic as Skylar. Um, R.J. Mitty, um, who does have minor cerebral palsy. Um, man, is he's a great-looking kid. He does not nearly uh, this uh, intense of, of, of a cerebral palsy case in real life. I don't think he has to have walkers. He, um, he, he accentuates and exaggerates the speech impediment, although he has a little bit of that if you hear him interviewed in real life. I think he was a Disney kid, and you can see why. I mean, he's so good-looking. You know, they give his, his character so little to do other than be upset the entire time, and he really makes the most of it. Right, veggie bacon, talking about being healthy. We can already see the boredom of suburban life here. Uh, you know, this is in the same vein as a movie like American Beauty. It just goes in a much different direction and has way, you know, more time to go there. But starting in the late 90s, when I was in high school, you know, the film and then eventually television world started revisiting um, pretty intensely, you know, uh, the not the evils of suburban life, but the the anger and frustration and boredom and apathy that lay beneath it that could cause seemingly good people to do, you know, definitively horrible things. And that's what this, this show's about, at least in the early seasons. Um, there are five seasons to um, Breaking Bad. And by the way, I am going to do a play-by-play at some point. I do want to mention this is the second series I've done. I did Jessica Jones quite a while ago and have been releasing that in pieces. I wanted to start releasing some more shows, and Breaking Bad is certainly one that most of my friends, people I know, have seen in love. And so, you know, I, I could watch could watch this a million times, and I rather, you know, there's no place I'd rather be here than with you folks doing the commentary. So here it is. We're talking about chemistry. So I'm not going to do a ton of play-by-play early on. First, because you know it. (laughs) Uh, Although I will talk about my favorite parts and laugh, you know, when appropriate. But 
this performance here has to sell the kind of uh, backstory of his character. This guy is intense. He's very, very intelligent. He's trying to engage these kids. You know, he's been doing this for 30 years. We find out, um, you know, and, and gave up somewhat accidentally a lucrative life as a potential billionaire and entrepreneur. And he's way more interested than these kids, even though he's done this speech a million times. But we only see him in chemistry class a handful of times moving forward, partially because he becomes a full-time drug maker and has cancer. All right, and here's, here's the douchebag. This guy's the mirror of R.J. Mitty. I wonder if they cast him to look a little bit like Walt Jr. You know, he's, he's, he's like the evil doppelganger. And he doesn't lose his temper. And the way they build the eventual losing of his temper is brilliant. <laughs> the slow burn of it. Um, and in fact, it would almost be better if he lost his temper earlier and more often. It's the lack of communication between him and his wife, Skylar, played by Anna Gunn, that leads to a lot of his frustration. And he decides to become, you know, essentially like a, a drug making mob boss killer um, as a way of dealing with these uh, discomforts and frustrations in his life. Um, I've been using the word frustration a lot, but that, that I, I think there there's a deep-seated metaphysical, you know, psychological, subconscious frustration. Um, he also feels constantly disrespected, as all smart people do when they're working jobs they shouldn't be working. Never clear why he has to do this. I know high school teachers don't get paid a lot of money, but public school teachers who have been working for 20, 30 years, you know, have a decent salary. And in most... Um, you know, in most parts of the country. And New Mexico isn't, you know, one of the poorest parts of America. Uh, it's the <laughs> the anti-Walt Jr. here. Oh, poor guy. Um, and so, you know, they have to pay off their mortgage. It's not a huge house. You know, it was overvalued, I guess, um, when they bought it. And he's just totally out of control. I mean, he, you know, this is like he's already at the point where he's lost control or felt felt like he's lost control over everything in his life. And so we're kind of seeing it backwards, you know, retroactively through his responses to people and situations, you know, look how angry he looks and unsurprised, right? She kisses him on the cheek. Their relationship remains cold throughout the whole time. We find out that his former partner's wife was his true love, you know, and uh, the lack of a love connection with his, his own wife, even though he loves his kids or says so, the lack of love connection with Skylar drives, I think, the majority of, of the break, even more than the jobs. Oh, here we go. Here's Hank. I, I was talking to my dad recently about this. I'm going to pop a bizzle, do a guest commentary with me on one of these episodes. Hank actually has not necessarily the, the best or the most significant, but in terms of sheer narrative literary distance has the longest, um, I'm sorry, has the, yeah, has the longest arc character arc in terms of changes to his character, both small and big through the course of the series. You know, once Walt decides to embrace a life of crime and he realizes that he likes it beyond just the money, we just see him delve along with Jesse Pinkman, who we haven't met yet, delve, deeper and deeper and deeper into insanity and, and evil 
and immorality. But this douchebag here, this overweight, drunk, you know, DEA douchebag, who, you know, who just made a joke about being smart, you know, being a horrible thing, you know, like typical Americans celebrating mediocre intelligence, which Walt does not. He's holding a gun. It's great. He's so uncomfortable with the gun. And he continues to be uncomfortable holding guns, even killing people throughout the series. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the DEAs are our celebrities because they're, you know, near the border and there's a lot of drug trafficking that comes through ABQ, as they call it, Albuquerque. Um, And, you know, insult to injury, we haven't met Walt's former business partner yet. (laughs) TV does that 10 pounds. 10 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, Gives him the finger. This is an important part of Hank. He does his own thing and he loves, loves Walt Jr. And that's was really important early on for him to not just be a total douchebag. Here's the revelation of the money you can make off drugs and specifically meth, right? Meth lab seizure. Interesting to think if he'd ever even considered what meth, you know, amphetamines were before. I'm sure he knows as the smart chemist. But anyways, the fact that he was, you know, told by uh, the sister so that show the finger in front of, you know, RJ Mitty as, as Walt Jr., who I think is like a sophomore junior in high school and he just does it again because because he loves them and you know he's always trying to uh to to pal around with uh with walt jr and interestingly you know even though walt and and hank you can tell from this very first episode um are headed on a direct collision course you just don't know when how long it's going to last and what it's going to result in walt always always likes hank and in fact the 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 cancer reveal up here's the hand job on amc 2012 uh the the cancer situation which is sort of what defines walt in other people's heads more than him as going forward and how he's able to get away with stuff by just blaming on the cancer either physically or psychologically he always likes hank in fact i think he likes hank increasingly more as it goes along hank's love for his son the fact that hank's willing to protect and take in the children when he thinks it's necessary or scholar thinks it's necessary You know, I, I I guess this is a peg for now because this is look at the dissociation here. She's doing you know eBay work or something, jerking him off. You know, this is your birthday present. I'm, I'm gonna put no effort into this. And I mentioned, I mean, look how bored they both are. You know, I, I don't think I'd even have an erection here. Sorry, people. This is an adult podcast, which is why I recently put the explicit uh, lyrics or parental advisory on my podcast because I, you know, I want to be able to talk about. Um, adult issues. As you know, I drop the F-bomb occasionally. I'm not a big cursor, but I like to be able to. Now she's really trying. Yeah, nothing's going on. Yeah. If if the woman's bored, I'm going to be bored, you know. Um. <laughs> really going to be careful with the baby. So, I, I, you know, Anna Gunn ended up being flamed big time on the internet as the series went along, and people... I think the main reason was that she was constantly making feel Walt guilty, uh, make, making Walt feel guilty. She was constantly blaming everything on him. She wasn't appreciating, or never really appreciated what he went through for them, working multiple jobs, fighting cancer, putting up with a stale marriage and a stale life. I mean, she's right where she should be, you know? 
Could she be someone, you know, with more money, a little bit higher class? Sure. But he really should be, you know, upper middle class. Yeah, she, she blows, she blows the hand job, if you will. The, the good way. Here he is. Up oh, there's a barrel. We're going to see a lot more of those barrels. So, you know, and she just plays victim constantly, you know. Oh, woe is me, Skylar. You know, my life's so horrible, it's all your fault. Hey, yo. Side note, the, when I first started watching this, finally, I was texting my friends. I was like, who had already seen the whole thing? And they finally convinced me, as I was going to say earlier with The Wire, it's the darkness of it, but also the fact that it was so hyped. You know, now I, I got hooked on this quicker than the wire because the first episode is so gripping and just fascinating and, and, and it, the way it moves and it's pacing and what the hell's going on. It's sort of like a character mystery. You know, if the wire is a real mystery, this is a character mystery I'm trying to figure out what's really going on inside these people. And they're trying to figure out what's going on inside one another as well. Right. It's just a chess called. I, I had known it was cancer, um, and in fact, that's the one piece of information I wanted and needed to finally say, okay, I'm going to give this a try, was not just that he was a, you know, bored, uh, you know, middle-class, southwestern, suburban dad um, with a, you know, lame marriage, or just not inspiring marriage, uh, and really nothing inspiring in his life at all, completely uninspired, he's just going through the motions, but the fact that he had cancer, and that initially it was to pay for the cancer treatment, and, but even more so, to give money to his family should he pass away, being the primary breadwinner, you know, I mean, Walt is really, and this is the, this is the discussion that, that depending if I do more than one or two seasons, we'll see how far we get. But the big question I always ask when I, when I'm nerding out with people on Breaking Bad, which is not hard to do because everyone loves it. As I was saying, it was so hyped up. The Wire was so hyped up. The Wire took me a couple attempts. Uh, But once you get through like five or six episodes of season one of The Wire, you just burn through the whole thing. This one it was the the slow burn of the cancer and I was going to say the coughing. I was like, I can't take coughing. Is this really going to be coughing for six seasons? And um, in fact, that's not the case. Uh, They balance it really well. Um, It's somewhat similar to how they balance Mary McDonald's um, character in Battlestar Galactica, who's the president of the remnants of humanity who's being chased by robots trying to commit genocide and kill them, kill them all. She also has cancer, although the fact that she's the leader and has cancer is actually fulfilling a, a religious uh, myth uh, among those people. Anyways, point being, American McDonald's uh, character, uh, President uh, Rosalind, goes in and out of having cancer throughout the series, and they, they always handle it well. You know, you have to make it visceral and uncomfortable. Um, but if you've seen the movie Fifty Fifty, you know that's the way to really do a cancer tale. I mean, you know, Fifty Fifty on the surface is a movie I could never get through because of all the hospital stuff, all the throwing up. But because they make it into a buddy story with Seth Rogen and a non-traditional buddy story, and because Anna Kendrick is a non-traditional love interest, you know, those three characters make it work. So anyways, the big question is, when does Walt go from, you know, just trying to get by to being bad, to being truly evil, or at least irreconcilably, irreconcilably, but they'd be bad, really bad. (laughs) When does he become really bad is the question. When does he turn a corner that he can never turn back from? 
Right. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're getting upset over, or not upset, but there's like, you can almost feel a potential fight brewing here. Look at her nagging him. I mean, this is exactly why people are going to have to hand a gun over a $16, you know, receipt from Staples. She is constantly nagging him and, and her nagging of him does cause him to go over the edge. But the thing that people on the internet, which I thought watchers of Breaking Bad would get be, being a, a heady show, is that that is her character. You can hate her character without hating her. And by the way, she may be the one that partially causes this, but she's not the one that forces Walt to go beyond just paying off the medical bills. And he could have stopped, you know, when he decides to keep going because he likes being a gangster and he doesn't want to be at home with her, you know, tired of being second fiddle to her and, and dealing with her nagging, you know, to me, she becomes more sympathetic, actually. But even if you dislike her character from beginning to end, you have to be able to separate the actor, the actress from the character. And she won awards, and you know, and now she's in a movie called Equity that's being excellently reviewed. And so, people within the industry and and true fans, oh fuck you, Bogdan! How did they get away with fuck you on AMC? It's a it's a it's a commercial station. It's like a semi premium. It's weird wipe down this sorry if that was loud um (laughs) this is great fire wonder if he's thinking chemistry right here so anyways i think anna gunn is fantastic it is painful to watch her and walt's relationship to one another you know deteriorate to say the least as the series goes on but she as an actress, she plays it so well. There's a million examples I could use. Um, I mean, this one's way out of left field, but it's just because I released this commentary recently, which is pitch perfect. One, um, Anna Camp, who plays the the blonde, super bitchy, controlling leader of the group, who's constantly puking and you know eventually loses her mind, uh, named Aubrey you know, is actually such a sweetheart and so cute in real life and in other roles when you see her that, you know, she has to put on being so bitchy. And Anna Gunn, I think, is probably the same. It was probably, honestly, the level of difficulty for her, I think, is extremely high in, in being so naggy, um, but without coming off as being, uh, you know, being neither a one-dimensional character nor one-dimensional actress. She's definitely not a one-dimensional actress. Okay, here it is. This is it. Here's the sting operation. He's already thinking about it. This is fantastic. Oh, look, they got their sunglasses on. Walt got a bulletproof vest on that looks like a... uh, (laughs) That looks like a life preserver. Cheese dick. I recently saw Hell or High Water with Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges, which is... uh, which is actually filmed in New Mexico, takes place in Southern Texas or West Texas as a modern Western uh, that has a lot of similarities in terms of aesthetic and pacing uh, as Breaking Bad. And, and there's a very similar relationship between uh, Jeff Bridges' character, who's like the, sh- the uh, sheriff, and his sidekick, who's half Latino and half Indian. Talk about a double webby, you know, l- lovingly dishing out racist comments regularly. Gomi here never really gets annoyed by it. And Jeff Bridges' case, they, they've been together even longer. They're a bunch of old guys. I mean, this is serious, you know? This is the first season. It's supposed to be nine episodes. 
but because of the writer's strike in, what was it, 2012, uh, ended up only being uh, seven episodes, you know, no one was watching this, at least until season three, I don't think, in terms of big numbers, I'm sorry, not, not 2012, 2008, writer's strike. But they had to spend a ton of money on this first episode, and it was this, and then it's the, the meth van, and, and the crash sequence, and so forth. You gotta blow your wad on the pilot of any, of any show, even if it means you can't spend any more money till the end of the, the season. So, you know, as someone who's nonviolent, but <laughs> is really interested in all things military, and, and sort of police and and having to do with guns not an obsession with guns but just you know it's our culture you know there's so much violence and i'm always looking closely and in series like these it's like is it too much force is it not enough force should they have more SWAT team should it just be cops but this show this show um like the wire it always seems to be the right amount of cops and you know again albuquerque major meth and drug center they've got probably a dozen units like that and uh right now it's just hank you know sending other people in to do the dirty work they've got on lockdown all the meth dealers are small time and that's the big revelation that walt has actually it's not just that he can do this and not just that he can do it better but that there's a market for better that could expand eventually into its own market separate from the shitty meth that that they're stopping oh did he just ask to go see it yeah peek our heads in yeah yeah Right, it's Walt's 50th birthday. You know, he does love Walt. They established that here. Oh, right, they're going to go check it out first. Oh, here it is. Jesse Pickbed, played by the brilliant Aaron Paul, a character who initially kind of grates at you. (laughs) It is annoying. It, It just becomes more lovable as the show goes on. Because of his, oop, there's boobs on AMC. Um, because of his relationship with uh, with Walt and everybody else, um, also won awards. Now has a film career going, which is fantastic. I've seen him in at least two films, including Eye in the Sky. Oh, Pinkman, he remembers him. Yeah, yeah, he's actually um, Aaron Paul's older than you think. I think he's supposed to be in his like late twenties. He's really in his mid thirties, at least I think, at least or, or now is. It had to be someone with a baby face, though, that he would recognize from, you know, decades ago or a decade ago in high school. Cap him. <laughs> he was in Eye in the Sky, a movie uh, earlier this year, 2016, about drone strikes. That was, I mean, it, it, it's... Uh, the whole movie is about, should we order a drone strike, knowing a terrorist attack is going to happen in like two hours, but we might kill civilians. And it's British people and Americans and Kenyans, and they're all trying to decide together you know, what amount of damage and death are they willing to, to do to level this, this block of terrorists. And he plays the main drone operator, who is based in Nevada, which is actually where they are based. But... Uh, you know, he's just sitting at the console, and him and, and the, his sidekick, his young woman, the emotions on their face as as they're just waiting to be be told stuff, and they're zooming in, zooming out. You know, they have to be objective. You know, 
when they're eventually told to do the strike and see what happens. I mean, th- there's been a lot of studies about PTSD for um, for drone operators. Okay, let's be here though. This is this is great. This is great. And by the way, they, initially, so Vince Gilligan says they were going to kill off Jesse Pinkman after the end of season one. They quickly, smartly realized that he was the co-lead to the series. Yeah. Right, the irony of him failing his chemistry class, but, you know, basing his life's, uh, you know, basing his quote-unquote career around using chemistry as rudimentary as it is to make math. Mr. White, and he never stops calling him Mr. White. The only time he calls him Walt is when he's extremely mad or just trying to wake Walt out of one of his bizarre reveries. So when does he short speech? <laughs> he has leverage. Jesse has to listen. Yeah, Jesse has to listen because Walt could tell him. Emilio, yeah. Mm-hmm. Emilio's going to prison. This is fantastic. You got nothing. Right. I mean... Of all of Walt's smarts in terms of chemistry, of all of Walt's smarts in terms of, you know, as the series goes on, playing people off one another, you know, uh, framing people for stuff that he does, manipulating Jesse, manipulating Gus, manipulating everybody, his family. Clever as he is, smart as he is. The jump from, I have cancer, I can't afford it, I don't want anyone to really know about it or at least know how I pay for it, and I'm going to do it through math with a former junkie student of mine. And, you know, one of the recurring themes, or, you know, one of the main themes of the show is about... It's, it's one thing to make drugs or produce drugs or distribute drugs for money, just for the money, but eventually it becomes a way of life, like anything. And, you know, Walt, became, Walt becomes an adrenaline junkie. I mean, you really can boil it down to that. Um, and that's why it's important for other characters to have major arcs in series like this. Now, with The Wire, what kept me going was the ensemble cast that kept growing and growing and changing and people coming in and out. You know, McNulty, Noah McNulty, and, you know, Bunny, Colvin, and, you know, Carver's character and Daniel's characters go through huge arcs. And, you know, Bodie goes from being a being bad guy to a hesitant bad guy to, to turn, you know, on, on, on his bosses and, and so forth. Like Battlestar, if you ever get bored with one character, you've always got a million stuff going on. This is a higher level of difficulty. It's an ensemble cast in the sense of you have six or seven characters that you can build, you know, long subplots around. Uh, but there, you know, there's only six or seven of them. I mean, it's these two, and Marie is amazing. Uh, the actress who plays Marie. Um, it, you know, they have to kind of shoehorn in, uh, her name's Betsy Brandt, uh, to shoehorn in a plot about her being a kleptomaniac, but because she's so compelling and the, you know, the, the paradox of her breaking the law and her husband being a self-righteous, you know, DEA agent, they make it work. Smartly with Skylar, other than, uh, Beneke, who we won't get to for a while, 
you know, her affair with her former boss. Other than that, you know, her subplot is trying to figure out what, what Walt's doing, discovering what Walt's doing, and then figuring out how best to harness the situation. Yeah, and then there's Hank, who's investigating, and, and, and Walt is the white whale, <laughs> as they will say. Oh, God, look at Paul. This is so funny. Um, you know, so they, they try and give Betsy Brand something to do by making her kleptomaniac, and then you've got Jesse here. Those were really the four leads. And I think the reason season three and season four are my favorites, and I think the best, is the introduction of Gus, who is a very uh, calm but inwardly psychotic Latino guy of unknown origin um, who's running you know, the big meth operation that sucks these two in, who has a simmering rage beneath him but can, can play you know, fake being naive and innocent and, and a good guy and donating to charity and being buddy buddies, you know, with the DEA and so forth. Okay, here comes the techno babble. But anyways, yeah, so adding Gus as, as the other really final main character who, who has his own plot line actually through those two seasons as well as his, you know, employment, quote unquote, or enslavement of these two is what kept the season going. Um, kept the series going. So the introduction of Gus, uh, um, the the um, and the uh, introduction of Gus uh, in season three, and the, and the fact that it started blowing up on Netflix around season three is what what took it to the conclusion. In fact, they could have gone way 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 more than five or five and a half seasons, depending on how you want to count it. But Vince Gilligan, you know, at some point plotted out where it was going. I don't think it was from the beginning. The true fans say, oh, Vince Gilligan knew every single line and every single plot point from the beginning. That's not how it happened, people trust me. It certainly was more plotted out than Battlestar Galactica, which waited until the final season and tried to bring strands together, and there was no way they were going to come together. Um, so my guess is somewhere mid-series, Vince Gilligan put it together. You can dress up like a faggot, not me. So, yeah, so, among just their straight-up dramatic genius of these two, both separately and together, uh, Brian Cranston's way of describing, basically, chemistry technobabble in a way that makes enough sense, but it's like Star Trek The Next Generation, it makes enough sense, but it more has to do with, you know, how it's delivered, the, the appealing uh, way that's delivered by the character, and the fact that, you know, the, you know, the bigger notion is, you know, how is it going to come together? Meaning, when he's describing a flask, you know, and, and giving these very technical names for, for flasks and, and, and whatnot, you're like, okay, this is just a smart guy showing off how smart he is, but then he'll say, and the reason we need this is, you know, X, Y, Z. And actually, my dad, uh, one of the reasons he loved, the, or at least initially loved Breaking Bad, uh, he too tried to avoid it for a long time, said he would never watch it, gave in, and then got addicted to watch the whole thing, just like me, um, was the MacGyver stuff, especially in the first season or two. You know, when he's really having to constantly improvise things having to do either directly or indirectly with, with the math.
Aaron Paul is really ageless. I mean, this was rec- this was filmed maybe eight or nine years ago. It looks exactly the same. Cranston too has has aged very gracefully. Should be noted. Not not only was he Tim Watley, the creepy dentist, who Elaine had an on again off again thing with Seinfeld with many memorable side characters, but he was on Malcolm in the Middle, a sitcom I would never watch one second of, but was on for a million years and was considered, I think, above average among sort of popcorny sitcoms. And he was certainly respected in that role. And he he's very open that he wanted to do the opposite of the Malcolm role in this one. 60. <laughs> I'm 50. I think he's in his like mid to late 60s in real life. Have you gone crazy or something? I-, I think part of the reason it takes some people a little time to get on board with with, with Pinkman, with, uh, with Aaron Paul's character, is because he doesn't really, I don't think, feel it until later in the first season or or maybe even with Jane in early season two, which is why Kristen Ritter's so important. Maybe we'll get there. And yes, first two shows, Jessica Jones, Breaking Bad. By the RV. Tells him he's cancer. By the RV. Yeah. And, and, you know, what, what's great about it, this whole thing is of all the problems that he causes for himself and others and all the things that go wrong... You know, that he either should have foreseen or couldn't have foreseen. Um, oh, this is a really important scene here where he stands up for his son. Uh, you know, the making itself of the meth is never the problem. He can be in a giant warehouse or laboratory or, you know, in an RV or in someone's basement. You know, he, he can make, you know, 97% meth in his sleep. In a market where 77% is considered very high quality. Yeah, shopping with the parents. So, so Heisenberg, as he'll become known, his gangster persona, has already been launched in his dealings with Jesse and his decisiveness to make meth. But the the violent part, which is informed by wanting to defend his family. I mean, he and Skylar never really get along, even before this all starts. But he never wants, you know, in his mind, something bad to happen to him. To any of them, I should say. I think that's why it was important, even though Holly, the unborn baby here, who eventually is born, I think it was important that, that she be pregnant because... A little bit counteracts the fact that she's a little bit more, you know, PMSing a little bit more. It also, you know, forces Walt to have a little bit more of a gentle hand than maybe he would otherwise. Oh, here we go. This is a clap-worthy scene. Everyone likes this. (laughs) Having trouble walking? Yeah. Look, you could see you could see Walt Jr. laughing in the background, and this is the thing. Look, this guy's way younger, stronger, and bigger than him. But it, it's the insanity in the eyes of Walt that ultimately scare this guy off, and that's why he's able to take on you know large numbers of gangsters and so forth as the series goes on, is because he's the most insane one in the room, and and that's the one type of person that no one wants to mess with 
Unless you're also psychotic, which is why they needed to introduce Tuco in this first season, who really his photo should be, uh, or, or animated GIF uh, with his grill, uh, should be next to the, you know, the definition of insane and or psychotic in the dictionary. It is beautiful, New Mexico. You know, it was nice for them that they could just sort of plan a flag for the series. I talk about with the, you know, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all the Defenders on Netflix. They knew it was going to be more expensive to film in New York as opposed to faking it, but they they had to sell New York and they weren't going to do it over the course of four or five different ongoing series by not being in New York, or actually by being not in New York. So... You know, so they just, they just planted the flag in New York and said we're gonna we're gonna do it. I don't know if it's expensive to film here or not. It doesn't seem like it because a lot of movies filmed in, you know, uh, in Texas or supposedly filmed in Texas are, are filmed in, in New Mexico. And you can't you know you can't keep using Southern California because it's like they've been using it since the early days of Hollywood to represent any kind of you know desert uh, climate because it's close to L.A. This this part of the desert is is rockier and and greener. In fact, uh, Walt, starting here and throughout the series, mostly wears green. I think is interesting. Jesse, not at the moment, tends to wear red and black. Um, and a gun as <laughs> here's the underwear. Um, and by the way, those love handles in his gut disappear very quickly. He becomes you know very very much in shape, and and I don't think he ever loses it. Uh, and a gun as his wife, Skylar, is blue. Skylar's sister, uh, Betsy. I'm sorry, Marie, played by Betsy Brandt. <laughs> sorry, Pinkman. Uh, Marie is a purple. I mean, everything at their house is purple. Um, Hank, of course, is, you know, earth tones, and he's a, he, he's a cop. Camouflage and so forth. Okay, so the mix of sound and imagery and music when it comes to all the various meth scenes and the different environments they're always completely different and and they keep showing you different parts of the meth making process now i've speculated that part of the reason they shoot it this way and you never see the whole thing at once this might be the one time it's kind of linear um, is because they don't want to give people any ideas. Like, let's put, if you watch just the drug-making parts of Breaking Bad over and over again, and you did some internet research, I'm pretty sure you could figure out how to do math. In fact, I don't think you need to watch this t- show to figure out how to make math, is my guess. But, you know, I, I'm not sure if that was a consideration for the network or for Vince Gilligan and company. Jesse can tell just by looking at it. This is art, Mr. One. Yeah, this is it. Right, it's just basic chemistry. It was important to sell that Walt did not want to have to do this initially. <clears throat> um, but he gets addicted to it. All right, here's the... Uh, right. Yeah, you know the saying is you never sell it. Whatever you never use, what you sell. (laughs) Miami Vice. 
that dates Jesse a little bit. How do we proceed? Right. So Jesse has to be distribution. You know. One of the conceits of the series is that a kid who did poorly in school uh, you know, and failed or almost failed chemistry could learn uh, <laughs> how to make you know, math eventually almost as good as Walt without Walt. So this is the first of many, many, many highly psychotic and sociopathic Latino characters in the drug trade. Other than Hank's partner, you know, Gome, uh, I don't know. I've never heard charges of racism when it's come to Breaking Bad. And the fact that, you know, in New Mexico, you would think there'd be Latino characters all over the place. It's just normal people, but they appear only to be, you know, highly violent and volatile drug dealers. Finest contact. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we've we've heard the bitch yet. You know, Aaron Paul's delivery of bitch is is the best ever. People yell that at him on the street all the time. Yeah, he's already cocky. I mean, the thing is with, with Jesse Pinkman is you know he always goes a little too far with his cockiness and his swag you know throughout the course of the series and it takes you know numerous tragedies and a growing rift between him and Walt to um to make him you know truly scared and humble all uh, right yeah Exactly. He's acting all smiley, even though his cousin or brother or whatever went to jail. Or... Crazy hate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is one of those cases, like, what I hate most in life. When you're accused of doing something that you blatantly didn't do, but the person seems to believe it and is pressing you on it, it, it you know... It's hard not to oversell your response, which just makes you seem more guilty. But if you don't respond to it enough and you just dismiss it, you know, you can't win. You can't win in that situation. And if you're trying to reason with people who are unreasonable, and that's really what goes on, actually. I I never really thought about this way necessarily, but, you know, with all the psychotic people, all the unreasonable people, you know, Walt is forced to become, he was going to become, um, some form of Heisenberg, no matter what, but because of the extreme nature of characters like this, you know, he he has to become more hardcore just to survive. Right. So this is the this is the lead up to the the crash scene. So this is like again an Iron Man when he's now back in Afghanistan. Um, I can't remember how they do it. So, right, so the opening of Iron Man gets blowed up, then he goes 48 hours earlier, then he gets on his private jet, comes down, I guess maybe they show just like a second or two in the, uh, in the Humvees with the, with the soldiers, and, and then blow it up, and then he's in the cave. Oh, right, they saw him with the DEA. Yeah, the, yeah, Walt never considered this. Yeah, this is the first time he's, he's sloppy. 
you know? He, he continues to miss obvious things, you know, that he made contact so quickly with Jesse Pinkman, who they already think ratted out that guy, and he was with the DEA wearing a bulletproof vest. And, he, you know, he went from holding uh, an unloaded gun from Hank uncomfortably early in this episode. I mean, that's the thing. It, it feels like four episodes of television. Now he's got guns pointed at his face. Okay, and here's the, here's the rationalizing. He becomes an expert at both rationalizing and self-rationalizing. Early on, it's all for survival. It's all, it's all rationalizing to others to convince them to be more reasonable. But it, it becomes an inward-focused technique that he's not fully conscious of. It's not clear to the level to which he's, he's conscious um, I talk about the difference between self-consciousness and self-awareness. Yeah, here's the beginning of Jesse Pinkman getting his ass kicked. Unfairly. Walt is definitely self-conscious, and he's definitely selfish. Uh, but the further he slips into the world of Heisenberg, the less self-aware he becomes in terms of what it means for other people. To the point where you're not even sure whether he really loves Walt Jr. anymore. In his head, he always loves Walt Jr. to the end. In fact, that's one of his last acts in the series, is to try and make sure Walt Jr. is taken care of. Oh, here comes the fire. And, you know, the question is, do you love someone because you think you love them? Do you love someone because you love them and they love you back? Or do you love someone because of your actions? And it's some combination. And so his actions seem to indicate that he loves nobody. But he doesn't love himself, you know? He's not like Godfather or Scarface in that sense. He despises himself. And so he has to justify it as helping his family the whole time. I mean, he does late in the series admit, I like it and I'm good at it, essentially. You know, I am the danger. Oh, this is red phosphorus, boom. Yeah. I don't know how I knew that was going to blow up. I'm not a big science chemistry guy. I, they, they made it clear that it was red and that when we saw the first you know, batch, they didn't use anything red. I, I, I just happen to know that phosphorus is an explosive agent. Sometimes can be used just for like, uh, you know, flares. I think flares are, are, are made with phosphorus. But in, if it's enough... In a controlled, uh, closed-off environment like that, it could kill you. So as we head to the final act here, <laughs> he's in his underwear with a green apron, as I'm saying, always wearing green. He's now burning down the <laughs> flora and possibly fauna of the New Mexico desert. He just attempted to kill two people. Um, I believe one, I think Emilio dies, and the other guy, Crazy Eight, doesn't die. He's trying to save Jesse Pinkman. Again, does he need Jesse to sell the drugs? Is that the only reason? Would he leave him there to die otherwise? And just like with Walt, I think he does convince himself, really throughout the whole series, that he cares about Jesse. Ultimately, he, he makes the ultimate sacrifice for Jesse. But, you know, he, he also manipulates Jesse greatly. Um, but Jesse's n- not faultless either. I think, I think, and this goes back to the Anna Gunn thing, you know, her just being a nag and, you know, 
some people love dark shows um, like me because they teach us about society and about the dark side of human nature and what can go wrong when bad decisions are made or bad life situations happen or both. But, uh, oh, oh, here we go. Yeah, so they fast forward, right, to him going to shoot the cops. He's already already an outlaw in his mind. But some people like dark shit because it's like Game of Thrones. You know, they like the rapes. You know, they, they like the, the, the violence in and of, of itself. It's like porn. Yeah, this this is this is drug porn. This yeah, this this show, and these people who accuse Anna Gunn of somehow you know ruining the show or, or whatever. Oh uh, man, oh he almost was gonna kill himself. I totally forgot that he tries to kill himself. Boom. But you know he's a bad person. And, and and people wanted to just see him succeed because that's how they frame the show, and that is that's the true brilliance of this show. Will be one of my final thoughts on this first episode, which is amazing and still has a little way to go. I can't wait to do the rest of the series. Like I said, Papa Bizzle is going to be on one of these. But um, oh, it's a fire truck for the fire, right? But the fact that you keep finding ways to justify in your own mind just while watching that you want him to succeed. And that's why they have to make all the other bad guys around him really, really bad. So, you're, you know, you're rooting for the least bad of the bad guys. It's very manipulative. It's very manipulative. But because it's open, that, that, you know, that, that's the mission of the show. It, it not only is great, it's what makes it great. The Wire, you know... In The Wire, you don't occasionally or often root for bad guys because you're being manipulated. It's because you literally see half the show from these so-called bad guys, who are mostly just poor people, being manipulated by other poor people, having to do with drugs and violence. But you know, in The Wire, you, you sympathize with the street kids often more than the cops, who can be quite corrupt. That's not manipulation. That's not manipulation. That's real life. This really skirts the line of, of ethics and morals. All right, here it is, red phosphorus. Phosphorus hydride. Phosphine gas, yeah. Look at them. He's half naked. Jesse's got his ass kicked. Walter's got cancer. Throwing up. I think another reason... Other than just making the cancer believable, they had to have the cancer be just really uncomfortable to watch and experience over most of the first season, so that it's always in the back of your mind. You know, like with anyone with with untreatable cancer, you may be able to stem the tide, but it almost always comes back. And that's how it was with, with President Rosalind Mary McDonald's character in Battlestar. <laughs> this is totally a fuck it, dude. Let's go bollock moment, right? From Big Lebowski, he's like, yeah, fuck it, let's go bollock. Well, uh, yep, this is drying bills as opposed to laundering them. <laughs> they will do plenty of laundering later. Whoop. Don't forget that. Dryer sheet. <laughs> Alright, so what's Skylar thinking here in bed? Is she already judging him? 
I think she sells that she's been a naggy wife for the length of their marriage, essentially, so quickly in the first couple episodes that people project that onto where her character goes. Because when she finds out what Walt does and says, I want in and I want to help you make this safer, you know, and reduce your mistakes and so forth. To me, that's interesting, you know, and that's when he becomes attracted to her again, actually, is when she becomes part of the danger. Right, you're shutting me out. And look at the look on his face and what we've seen over the course of this episode. They've been shutting each other out for years. Oh, does he go after go at her on this? He's never felt more alive despite the cancer. Yep. Yeah, in fifty fifty, Joseph Gordon drives a car the wrong way on the expressway for ten seconds. Walt spends five seasons running a drug empire so he could feel alive with the cancer. Yeah, I mean, man, to be an old guy with cancer to to be able to perform. That's yeah, that's the the adrenaline. Like I said, he's an adrenaline junkie. I think that's the biggest. The oh, he doesn't want to do it from behind. Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest criticism of the series uh, after the first half, I guess, you know, when he goes from Breaking Bad to just being bad, boom, there it is. Is uh, you know, that eventually it just becomes him falling down a hole further and further and further and just being in adrenaline chunky and not wanting to give up that that feeling and uh that's why it was so important for skylar and hank in particular to become you know even more center stage as it went along uh, as foils and as contrast to what to walt's doing and uh, to a lesser extent um gus um what we may talk about in future episodes hope you enjoyed that uh, I didn't do a lot of play-by-play. I wanted to get some basic uh, themes and thoughts out there early. So I will see you for episode two. I'm going to start bringing in facts about the series, both of what was going on during the time uh, that, that it was airing and, and, and after the fact. You know, its legacy on television, the success that the actors have had after the series, and so forth. I'm going to get into a little bit of that later. So thank you for listening, and I'll see you for Breaking Bad Season 1, Episode 2, The Cats in the Bag. Bizzle out.